the kind of low point that I got to was a bit of a surprise. Kind of all came on at once. I just realized there was some red flags. Kind of self-medicating here and I've also burst into tears a bunch of times lately, which is not really something that I, I have done in the past, but maybe I could do some more of it might help. Hi, I'm Cassandra Huff. Welcome to Farmers Talk Mental Health. This series of podcasts focuses on the stresses farmers face that affect their well-being and personal stories of mental health. It looks at the help they sought and the strategies they used to maintain their mental health. The podcasts are developed for the National Enterprise for Rural Community Wellbeing at the University of South Australia, directed by Leah Bryant. If you think that you or someone in your family or community might benefit from support for mental health and wellbeing, please contact Mensline on 1300 789 978, Lifeline on 13 11 14, or the Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 Wilson grew up on the central coast of New South Wales. When he left school, he joined the army, but he knew he always wanted to be a farmer. When he left the army several years later, he pursued that dream. It's been quite a journey. Hi, Ant. Can you tell me a bit about where you grew up and, and, and what your background is? So I grew up on the central coast of New South Wales. Um, I don't have any I didn't have any background in farming at all. I didn't grow up in a farming family. I left school and joined the military and was in the army for eight years or so. And then I left that to become a farmer, basically. Did yeah, you always know um, you wanted to be a farmer? I think so. Yeah, retrospectively. I can remember being in high school and visiting friends that lived on properties and being really interested in that kind of stuff. But I, I didn't realize at the time that that was something that I could actually do as a career path. I think more values driven when I came back to it. I took some time off from the army and went traveling and I felt disenfranchised by the food system and I wanted to learn more about it. And, and I, I felt like we were uh, sort of globally speaking, the food system was broken in a way. Uh, and I wanted to learn more about how we could do it properly. You went into the army. Why did you initially choose the army? I felt like I wanted to give back to the community. I didn't want to, I didn't feel like I needed a gap year um, to sort of hang around and do nothing. Retrospectively, I wish I had done that. <laughs> it sounds like lots of fun. I guess they were doing a, a special thing, a like gap year program actually, where you could do a one-year contract in the army instead of joining up for the normal four years. Uh, and the other side of it was that I didn't, know what I wanted to do. So I didn't want to go and jump into some uni course that I was going to drop out of halfway through or regret. What were some, when you finished your time in the army, what were some of the, the big lessons you learned about yourself and I guess what you wanted to do with your life from the army? I mean, it was helpful. It set me up financially. Uh, it taught me the limits of my physical endurance. Uh, it taught me leadership skills. Uh, it taught me how to deal with stressful situations and keep calm in stressful or emergency situations. Yeah, I mean, it gave me some good uh, like first aid skills and that kind of thing. Uh, a lot of the, the jobs that I was doing aren't really translatable to farming, but those kind of life skills, I think, really helped. And you, you went overseas as part of that? Uh, not on deployment, just on training. Okay. And you finished your time in the army and... How long did it take you to make the transition from from the army to to farming? Was it a relatively smooth transition? Um, yeah, so I left basically to go straight to a farm. I uh, went to work on a farm just outside of Canberra. 
it was a permaculture farm. Uh, it was really, really diverse. Uh, and they were doing, yeah, they were doing like chickens and lamb and pigs and market gardening and all kinds of stuff, food forest. And so that was my first stop. I went and bought, um, did an internship there for three months. And then from there, I just kept meeting other really cool farmers doing the kinds of stuff that I was interested in, the sort of small-scale agroecology. And for two and a half years, just kind of jumped from farm to farm. And then I came across the, the property at, uh, in, in Harcourt. And you settled down there. What sort of farming did you do then? Uh, so Katie and Hugh, who were my lessors, who owned the property, they've been running a orchard there for organically for 20 years, I think, and perhaps conventionally before that as well. And then Katie's dad uh, has been running uh, orchards for X amount of years before that. I think they've been orchardists for... I don't know, lots of years basically in their family. And so I took on, took the baton from them. <laughs> so I was doing organic fruit growing, mostly stone fruit, a little bit of apples and pears. What was it that attracted you to farming and, and this orchard that, that you found yourself on? Mm, good question. Part of it was just a deep desire to work with the soil. You know, it's, it's just something that I'm passionate about that I, I really enjoy and that I just want to do. Uh, I like being outside. I like working hard. So that there's that side of it. And then the other side of it was the values sort of stuff. And, you know, at the time, I didn't understand the concept of food sovereignty or agroecology. And I didn't really have a very good idea of how bad the food system was, globally speaking. But I was seeing these documentaries like Cowspiracy, for example. And my initial reaction to that was to just become a vegan. Um, but I really wanted to learn more. And I, I, I guess part of me wanted to prove to myself that it was possible to grow food in a way that didn't damage the environment and didn't damage or treat animals unethically and didn't treat people unethically. So you're on the orchard. Can you take me through what, what you did in a day and the sort of jobs you had? When I came to the orchard, I'd never worked on one before. I, I didn't even consider that there was you know, uh, 80 different varieties or hundreds of different varieties of peach, you know. So I, it was, I was really starting from zero. When I started there, I did a six-month internship with the current owners who I took over from. It, it was a bit different to other kinds of farming because it's kind of much more, it's very seasonal and you do sort of big chunks of jobs at a time. So you go through the pruning season and the thinning season and then you go through the harvest season and you're harvesting and grading and uh, doing markets and all that sort of stuff. And then you go, and once that finishes, you're pretty much back to the pruning season. So day to day can be quite similar, but throughout the year, you sort of shift from one thing to the other. Uh, and originally I was heading up to the northern New South Wales, where I am now. After spending time on the farm, I actually thoroughly enjoyed and really connected to that seasonality and how things slowly changed throughout the year. How did it go? You, you've launched into a, a new career and got, uh, you've done a bit of learning, but you, you don't have a huge background in it. How, how difficult was it? Um, I mean, there was certainly some challenges, but I was very well, well supported. Uh, after spending that two and a half years after I left the army learning about farming, I made really great connections with the small-scale agroecology community. And I had some really great mentors. They, I wouldn't have been able to do it without them. So I, I did that six-month internship with 
uh, the previous owners of the orchard. And beyond that, after I signed the lease and took over, they were still supporting me. We were having meetings once a week uh, and they were giving me advice. So yeah, having that amount of expertise behind me really, really helped. And I had a great time. I, we, I learned so much and we set up a organic farming co-op as well. Uh, so that was an incredible experience. Did you find you were farming according to your values? You, you were making uh, the, the decisions and, and farming the way you wanted to? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So a big part of my business was a community-supported agriculture program. So I had about 100 members that signed up prior to the fruit season and paid for their fruit in advance, uh, which meant that sort of extended the, the cash flow of my business. You know, I was doing some really exciting things with them that I'd seen uh, or learnt from other CSA farmers. People were coming in and volunteering on the farm in exchange for their fruit. Some were paying with uh, doing a barter exchange. So they were paying with bread or um, even massages or pork or other things. I tried to really connect with my CSA community, but also my broader customer base and convey a lot of the, uh, be radically transparent, basically, and convey a lot of the romantic side of farming, but also the, the tough stuff, which is part of why I wrote one of those articles that ended up in Sowing Seeds magazine. And how, how did that play out for you? Did you come in with a romanticised notion of farming? Uh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, part of me knew it was going to be hard, especially after doing the six-month internship first. You know, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to do everything and there was going to be challenges. Yeah, and there was, but I, you know, I was very energetic and very excited about it. Oh, absolutely. It sounds like it's a strong passion for you, but as you got into it and, and just from talking to you, you've got a lot going on. How did, how did that play out for you? Um, yeah, retrospectively, I think I just took on too much. So on top of running the business and, and doing the farming, there was also the cooperative on top of that, which took a lot of energy. I was volunteering for the local farmers market committee and we started a new farmers market in Castle, Maine. Uh, and then I was also volunteering for the Australian Food Sovereignty Alliance. I, I just took on too much, I think. <laughs> so I've been learning recently to say no to things if I need to. And it wasn't just um, taking on a lot. You, you take on the environment as well with farming and, and all the challenges that that can throw up. And uh, obviously rainfall's a, a big issue for a lot of farmers in Australia. Not so much from your point of view, but but what's sort of challenges did you face? Because I know you had a fairly harrowing experience with some birds. Oh, yeah. I mean, the article that I wrote, was I took a bit of poetic license there. They're the one of the biggest pests for apples and pears, but they're pretty easily managed. Um, it's the same with earwigs. They're pretty reasonable, pretty easy to manage. We had a fire come through in the first year. We had one of the summers, I can't remember which year it was, but it was just brutal. It was you know, it was above 38 degrees for three weeks. And I remember one day it was 46 degrees in the shade at six o'clock in the afternoon. And I was just out there picking kilos and kilos of apricots, you know. So I think the heat was one of the biggest challenges. And it seems like, like you're saying, when you got to pick the fruit, you got to pick the fruit. <laughs> like, you can't wait. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's why I was out there in those temperatures just working because, yeah. If you don't pick it, it's just going to drop on the ground. You've got a very small window. How hard is that from a mental health point of view when you're pushing yourself so hard but, but you, you don't see an alternative to, to, to pushing yourself? Well, at the time I was loving it, <laughs> to be honest. I like working hard and as I've said, I was really passionate about what I was doing. So it 
made me feel good. I, I loved doing that. It was really hard work, but at the end of the day, I just felt like I was contributing to something greater. You know, I was uh, doing my bit to change the food system and to deliver the highest quality fruit grown in the most ethical way that I could to my customers with a story of where that, where that comes from, you know, and, and why it's a better choice than buying fruit from the supermarket. So what do you think some of the, the mental health stresses were that, that started to, to creep in with, with your work? Probably lack of sleep and just exhaustion was a big part of it. Uh, and also just as well as that passion being a factor for that, that drove me, it also became a, a heavy weight on my shoulders. Uh, and because I was overworking myself, uh, I kind of I, I faltered in that and all of the stuff in the world that I was trying to change just became too much. I, I felt this you know, heavy existential angst on my shoulders. I felt the weight of the world, like I just had to keep pushing to try to change things. But then with that exhaustion that I was suffering from, it kind of shifted to, to being a, a sort of feeling of existential nihilism. I guess I just kind of thought, you know, this is too much and it's not going to change. And the government doesn't really seem interested in uh, shifting the food system to one of agroecology. So why am I working myself to death? It's not just a physical exhaustion, it's a mental exhaustion as well. Yeah, a very politically minded person and I, I want to see big change. But it just, I got to a point that I felt like it wasn't possible anymore. And it's you're starting to describe sort of, I guess for a loose term, like a, a burnout sort of situation. Did it take someone else pointing that out to you or were you able to see that in yourself? I read an article about burnout and it just, it was like a door opening in my mind. I was like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm really burnt out. I think that was the catalyst. You've spoken about a lot of support from the community when it comes to learning about farming and opportunities and uh, mentoring and things like that. But, but when, when the times got tough, what sort of support was there for you? I could speak to my friends and, you know, because we were a cooperative and we had multiple farmers on the property, we could talk to each other. We could share about the tough things that were happening or the things that had gone wrong. I quite enjoyed writing as well. So uh, as well as writing about political stuff and about sort of, romanticized stuff, I would try to write about the difficult things that were going on as a bit of a cathartic or a bit of a catharsis sort of thing. What didn't help? With the burnout? Yeah. With my mental health? Yeah. The amount of responsibility that I'd taken on. Maybe it's a sort of masculinity or man thing. Maybe I felt I couldn't just be vulnerable and say, oh, I say no to things because I'm too tired or, you know, that I'm working too hard and I'm exhausted and I need, and I need help. And was that difficult? Because like you've been in the army, you've pushed yourself physically. Like you have a, a faith in yourself that you, you can push through difficult times. So, so that must have been a tough realisation that, that you couldn't just keep pushing through. What did help was uh, a past experience of being in a, a bad mental space. As a queer man, I you know went through the whole coming out process and I found myself in a mental health space where I wanted to kill myself. And I was self-harming and all that kind of stuff. And I got myself through that. And so I've always been able to draw strength from that. So I think I recognized at a time 
that I wasn't happy anymore. Having found myself in that place before and just, I had the clarity to, luckily, had the clarity to say, okay, I need to, something needs to change because I don't want to die. I don't want to kill myself. And so I, I wasn't that far down the rabbit hole in the farming journey, but I wasn't happy. And so I realized that something big needed to change. What sort of professional help did you access? I didn't. I am now, but I didn't at the time. Do you know why you didn't? Um, I guess I didn't realize how burnt out that I was. But yeah, that you were I, able to access though? But there were, would have been things you could access if you, if you had have acknowledged that? Uh, surely. I mean, I'm having trouble now, to be honest. I'd like to speak to someone about how to properly recover from burnout and a couple of other mental health issues that are going on. But it seems pretty hard to, to actually book in with somebody. So, so you've made this acknowledgement yourself. You've, you've seen the signs yourself and, and you've recognised that, that something needs to change. How did you go about making that change? Well, yeah, at the time I was like, okay, something needs to change. And the, the two options I could see were uh, exit the farm or change what I'm doing so that like, it's more manageable and I can be in a better mental health space and come back to that place of passion and drive. What did you decide um, to do? Uh, ultimately, I ended, I ended up leaving the farm. There's other sort of stuff laid on as well. And it took me a while. It took me probably six months to come to that decision. But when I did it, it felt like the right one and it still feels like the right one. How do you know? What, 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 how do you feel in yourself when you know you've made the right decision? Well, so we were a cooperative then. We had a bit of a community going on. Ultimately, there was a sort of divide in or two different ideas about where the cooperative was going to go. And I felt like I wasn't aligned with that anymore rather than stick around and try to create what I wanted and, and what I would be happy in. I thought it's better for me to just put this down and go and find a new adventure. And I, I did actually, over the years, make changes because the first year was really hard. And I can remember being at the end of the season uh, of the first year and being like, wow, that was exhausting. But, you know, if I'm going to do that again, I need to make some changes to make it easier. And so I, I removed some trees. I simplified the business model. I tried to organize some more help some casual employees and some volunteers like woofers and things and CSA members that wanted to come and work in exchange for their fruit. And those things really helped, but ultimately it wasn't enough. What difference do you think hearing your story, someone with your story, if you had have heard that, what difference do you think that would have made to you? I don't know. Thinking back to how I was three years ago, I probably would have jumped in anyway. I would like to think that I would do some more planning in terms of what I'm capable of and how much labor there is to do and uh, yeah, simplify and reduce the size of the business. Mm. But perhaps even um, just just hearing how how to to manage the burnout and and that sort of pressure that you put on yourself. How do you think you're going to to deal with that going forward? Well, leaving the farm was a, a really big thing. Uh, that was a big weight lifted off my shoulders. Uh, I've uh, removed myself from the volunteer positions that I was doing, uh, and so. I'm just taking time off at the moment. So that's really great, to be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm sleeping much better and I'm feeling much happier and I'm feeling much more hope about the world. To be honest, I don't know if I'm going about 
healing my burnout in the right way. And that's part of the reason why I'm wanting to go and speak to someone. What I'm doing so far is just resting. Sounds like you're doing what you need to do. And given that, that farming had been your passion and, and you'd thrown everything into it, from what you're saying, it, it was a relatively easy decision when, when your values and, and goals divided from the people you were working with. But it's still, I can imagine, was, was pretty tough to give up on that, that dream to find a new one. I, I still, you know, in spite of differing directions, I still really value the people on that property, uh, the people that I worked with over the last couple of years. We did some incredible, incredible things um, that are re- were really exciting. You know, I really love all of them. They're great people. And so it was hard and it still is hard to leave that behind. Yeah, I just, I think I just got to the point where I had to. I will come back to farming. It's something that's probably in my blood and I'm never going to fully leave, but I'm just going to take some time off and I'll be able to. Um, Drop in and visit them anytime, I'm sure. You're taking some time off at the moment. Where would you, you say you're in your, what stage would you say you're at in your process of recovery? I don't know, to be honest. It's a hard question to answer. Okay. I don't know how long it's going to take before I'm ready to dive back in. I've already seen a few opportunities around the area of uh, places where I can either just work for accommodation or great farming jobs on really exciting properties. Uh, being in the Northern Rivers, there's some really great stuff happening here. Um, but I've had to just be honest with myself and and not apply for those things because I'm just not ready. So I'm trying not to put any pressure on myself at all and just let it happen, essentially. You mentioned you're looking for some more professional help. What do you want from the health service? What do you need from the health service? I guess some more clarity about whether I'm doing the right thing yeah, in terms of taking time off and uh, sort of exiting that thing and and maybe just talking about what are some good ways to fully recover properly from that burnout. When I was back in the thick of it, I was self-medicating and was quite emotional and I wasn't sleeping and uh, I broke down in tears a few times. And so those things are dropping away, which is really great. Yeah, I guess I just want a bit of, yeah, I want to bounce those ideas off somebody else that knows what they're talking about. And you you mentioned it earlier. You said that... (laughs) that actually going through the stress, the pressure of coming out uh, meant that you already had an understanding of when you were being tested mentally. Were there any issues uh, within the the farming community with your sexuality? Was, Was there any issues that you faced from that point of view? So one of the pieces that I wrote for Sowing Seeds magazine uh, reflected a little bit on that. Uh, No, is the short answer. Not any more than general society, I've had a really great experience. Yeah. I can say that the small scale farming community is one of diversity and one of inclusion. I've always felt really happy and included, but that is coming from someone who's a cisgendered man who at times in in the past has been often misread as being straight. So I can't say that that would be the experience that other people might have. Uh, And there are challenges for people of diverse sexuality and gender in the farming community in, in terms of isolation and, and being removed from um, a much urbanised community and being, you know, being farm, farming often takes place in rural places, you know. A lot of people choose to do urban farming, which is a great solution to that. But if you're not into that and you're out in the country, you might find yourself in a community that's much more conservative than the city. So for myself, I was farming just south of Bendigo, which is you know, I think that's the centre of Reclaim Australia or something, which is quite a conservative or right-wing organisation. So, so 
there are challenges, but I felt really held in in the small scale farming community. I find it interesting that it was it was a, something that you actually drew strength from when you were going through through your challenges on, on the farm. Did anything as part of this journey surprise you? Were you surprised or were not expecting to to feel the way you did? The kind of low point that I got to, I think it just was a bit of a surprise, really. Kind of all came on at once. I just realised, you know, like I said, there was there was some red flags. I suddenly realised, oh, I'm kind of self-medicating here and I've also burst into tears a bunch of times lately, which is not really something that I, I have done in the past, but maybe I could do some more of it might help. And, yeah, so I, I think that was a surprise, just that uh, how tired I really was and how that was actually affecting my relationships with people. Uh, when I read that article uh, about burnout, that was revealing. For anyone who's, say, watching this video or, or starting to feel the, the burnout pressures that, that you were feeling, what would you want to say to them? Talk to someone. You know, it's, you can say no to things. You're allowed to take time for yourself. Well, maybe this is what I would say to me in the past because it's hard to know, you know, other people might have a different experience or arrive at burnout from the different reasons. But I would certainly say that you're allowed to say no to things and, you know, if, if you're feeling the weight of the world, it's not only up to you, it's up to the whole community to make change. So you're allowed to rest. I think I suffered from a level of internalised capitalism even. I feel, I feel guilty even now. I feel guilty taking time off and just resting and not being productive. So I think recognising those things is important and that it's okay just to live. Oh, it's been wonderful speaking to you. I hope you're like you. This has been okay. Is there? Yeah, yeah, this has yeah. been great. Yeah, okay. I'm, I'm really happy to talk about this stuff. Good. Radical transparency, I think, is a, a, good, a good concept. It's been so great to have your company today. If you think that you or someone in your family or community might benefit from support for mental health and wellbeing, please contact Men's Line on 1300 789 978, Lifeline on 13 11 14, or the Suicide Callback Service on 1300 659 467.